Okay, Harvest Muskoka, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people here who would love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, didn't bring a Bible, forgot your Bible, grab one of these and turn to the book of Daniel. If you don't own a Bible for sure, take one of these home as our gift to you. Daniel chapter 1 is going to be this morning. If you grab one of these Bible Bibles, the actual page number is written in the bulletin. Sweet reason to grab one of those. Uh, if you don't have one of those, go to the table of contents. If you can't find Daniel, get to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> As you're turning there, you know, when Erica, Pastor Eric and I were in Mexico just a, a little over a month ago, we were helping Omar get his church launched out there in Mexico City. It wasn't hard to, uh, to pick us out as tourists. It wasn't hard to realize, hey, these guys are not from Mexico City, all right? There's lots of ways. Uh, you, the fact that we were wearing shorts and flip-flops because we thought it was warm as summer and everybody else was wearing coats and pants because they thought it was as cold as winter. Like, you could kind of stood out. Like, these guys are not from here. Or, or it was the language barrier got us. Or, or how about this? The fact that, maybe you don't know this, Mexicans actually hug on the different side than we do. Here's what I mean. After the service, go give somebody a hug. We all naturally go one way. I go, if you go this way, go to the right. And everybody goes the right way. Mexicans don't. They go to the left. And so as every time, I, I nearly kissed a lot of men as I'm going to hug them. Right? I'm like, oh, hey, what, where are you going? Right? And just, you know, hey, you're not from around here. Or the fact that you, you greet women with, a, with that, that air kiss on the cheek, right? Every time, or Eric, who after about three days, realized it's an air kiss on the cheek and a lot of shocked women who are getting fully kissed by Eric planting one on their cheek. So like, Eric, stop kissing all the ladies in Mexico, right? <laughs> there were so many times, I think when people looked at Omar, Pastor Omar, and thought, man, are these gringos with you? Like, did you bring these guys? Because we didn't fit in. We're obviously not from that country. And, and, and here's the reality. The reality is for, for anyone here who's a Christ follower, if you, if you call Christ your king, it's the same reality for you. The, this is not our kingdom. This, this, this world here on earth, and, and we, don't, we don't quite fit in. I like how J.R. Tolkien said it, where he said, we all long for Eden, and our whole nature is still soaked with a sense of exile. I love that. We, we all long for Eden at that time when, when there was the relationship between God was in was such a way and we long for the, the reality of why God created and what God created. And, and now, as, as sin has, has come in and affected that, the kingdom, we all have this, this feeling of just being soaked in the reality, in the sense of exile. Because we're, we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're living in a world that's not our home. The Bible uses that term all the time, that we are in exile citizens of another country. So what does that mean? That means as a Christ follower, you, you don't quite fit. You, it, you, you can become kind of odd as you, as you go through life and, and odd in, in, in the way, not like Eric and I were odd as we were in Mexico City because we didn't quite understand the cultural norms, didn't figure all that stuff out yet. But, but we're odd because of this. You and I, if you're a Christ follower, we're listening to a different king. We're serving another king. We're living for a whole other kingdom. And so you're going to stand out because you're tuned into something completely different. Now, now, we talk this idea of exile in a spiritual sense. What we're going to read about here in, in Daniel is in a real physical sense, these guys were in exile. Daniel and his, and his three buddies we're going to read about here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were, were literally living in exile. In fact, you have the book of Daniel open, chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So, so what do you have here going on here? King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he, he takes over Jerusalem, completely, completely takes it over, and then he takes a bunch of Israelites back with him to Babylon. A lot of other historical books say that it would have been about 10,000 people. 10,000 people now living in exile in Babylon. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writing to the followers of Christ, he says, you who are exiles. And as he says that, he would take a Jewish reader in their mind back to this period of time in history. And, and so today, just like the Israelites, you and I, we're in exile too, not living in our home. This is, this is the story that we're in as Christ followers. This is our kingdom story. Where do we fit in the kingdom? We're, we're people who are following a different king from a different kingdom. So as Christ followers, we're living in exile, made for a different world. In our text, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hundreds of miles from home, living now in Babylon. Now, when you hear that, that, the name of that city, Babylon, when you hear that, that, that nation, the Babylon, comes. That, that, that should remind me of something. There's another Babylon that I remember from this, this story of the kingdom in, in Genesis 11. You remember what happened? The Tower of Babel? Yeah, yeah, same place. So this idea is out of the Garden of Eden, when sin enters the world, two streams come out of the Garden of Eden. One is the kingdom of man, the kingdom of humankind, and the other, the kingdom of God. And at the Tower of Babel at Genesis 11, you see this apex of, of human sin, this, this counter kingdom of humankind, which is all about this. It's all about self-exaltation. You fast forward to this point in history, and God's promise to, to his people that they would be a nation now seems to take a, a turn for the worse. And here they are scattered and, and many of them in exile in Babylon. And the question is, how do they live their lives in the midst of this kingdom they're living in? How, how do we live as, as citizens of another kingdom, as, as people who call Christ our king? This is not our home. How do we live today? How do we live in a kingdom of different values? We live in this place of exile, made for a different world. How do we then live? I think there are, there are two temptations, two ways we can go. We can be tempted to, to do one thing. Okay, we're in exile. This is not my home. So what do we do? We can fully separate. Or, or the other temptation, not fully separate. We just fully assimilate. So, so what do we do? Do, do, we, do we separate from, from our, our, our communities from Muskoka and Perry Sound or, or do we fully assimilate? Do, do we separate from this kingdom of the world or do we, do we assimilate into it? How do we live? How do, how, do you, how do you live in your school? How do you live in your workplace? How do you live with the, the friends you, <coughs> that you hang out with? Excuse me. <coughs> how do we live as people in exile? Nebuchadnezzar, what was he doing? <clears throat> he had taken 10,000 people. Really, what were they? They were the cream of the crop. They, they were the, the top of the game. They, they were the smartest. 
the most brilliant. And what was he doing? He was, he was, there was a strategy of how can I take over this kingdom of Israel? How do I take it over without having to destroy the whole country? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll take the best of the best, the leaders in culture. I'll bring them to Babylon and I'll Babylonize them culturally. I'll make them like Babylon. He's hoping that the, these 10,000 would come and, and they would become intellectually and socially and spiritually and culturally and religiously Babylonian. So one of the temptations then is you're being brought in as a person coming into exile. The temptation would be, man, I can't enter into this. I gotta separate myself from this. They don't wanna be there. Ba Babylon's the enemy. They want to be back home in Jerusalem. So they resist the city of Babylon. They push against it. In fact, we read in history that most of them lived on the outskirts. They wouldn't even enter in. They're like, no, we're not going in there. We're going to set up our own camp. We're going to hide up by ourselves. In fact, you read in Jeremiah. In fact, turn there right now. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Keep a finger in Daniel. We're coming back to Daniel as well. But go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 28, you, you have these false prophets coming in and these false prophets are coming in. They're, they're telling the people of Israel, hey, hey, don't go into Babylon. Don't move into the city, man. We're, we're believers. That, that's a wicked pagan city. Don't go in there. You know what? Don't, don't, don't hang out with them. Have nothing to do with them. Don't, don't live there. Stay out. Pray against the city. They said, listen, God's gonna totally judge Babylon, so let's hide out, huddle up, and let's just wait. Let's have nothing to do with them. Stay away from them because we hate them. And then Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, God says this through Jeremiah. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Can you imagine hearing God say that to you when you're in exile in Babylon? It seems kind of counterintuitive what you, what you would think a holy God would call you to. And, and God's saying, hey, listen, first of all, first of all, as you're thinking to hide out and fully separate, he's saying, hey, get a bigger picture of what I'm doing here. Do you notice what he said in Jeremiah? He said, I'm the one who sent you into exile. Yeah, I used Nebuchadnezzar. I used Babylon, but I planned it this way. I took you out of power and I placed you in a pagan, wicked culture. Now think about that for us today. When you see the world and how far it is from God's word, when, when, when you see even in our culture how it's moving further and further and further and further away from Christianity towards being hostile towards Christianity. You know, how do you feel when you, when you feel that pressure of, of, of being out of step with culture because you're following God's word? And, and culture says, hey, get on board. Man, that's such an old book. It's, it's out of date. It's old fashioned. I mean, you need to think the way we do. You need, to, you need to do things the way we do. You need to get on board with how we do culture. Right? And you feel that tension, that tension of living under a different king. How much of this, though, is God saying, this is part of my plan? 
This is part of my plan to, to renew you, to grow you, to change you. It's, it's part of my plan to, to renew the world, to grow your towns and your neighborhoods, to renew the people that you know around you, to, to grow those and change those, the, the people you work with, the people you study with, the people you hang out with. So God's saying to his people, hey, hey, move in. Don't stay away. My whole plan was for you to get into Babylon. My whole plan was for you to engage a broken culture. So Dan and, and his three buddies there, they're immersed in Babylon. In fact, look at verse four. It talks about the people that were brought there, youth without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent, stand in the king's palace. And what was the purpose? To teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. We wanted to be, teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Look at verse five. The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So here's what's going on. You've got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got full scholarship to the University of Babylon, right? They're like right in the heart of that pagan culture. And it's right where God told them to be. We're not called to separate from our world. Think about this. It's, it's, it's God's called you to be a missionary and, and in that circle of influence that you have. And think about if, if Mike and Jen Payton, who've just gone over to PNG, gone over to Papua New Guinea, they're going there for three months. Could you imagine? Imagine they come back, hey, what'd you do? Oh man, we never left the compound. We never left the home base. Are you kidding me, Papua New Guinea? We're not going out to, to meet with those people. We just wanted to hide out the whole time. Or, or Laura Michaela, she's, she's in Africa right now working with the, the nomadic people and she's traveling with them. Imagine though, imagine she were to say, oh no, I got off the plane, went straight to a hotel. And I just hung out there the whole time. It's a really great, great hotel. In fact, they only let Christians in. So I could just, it was just one worship service after another. It was amazing. We would be like, are you kidding me? You were sent as a missionary. You're supposed to engage in that culture. You're supposed to get to know the people. You're supposed to love them and care for them and bring them the good news of the gospel. What about you and me? Have you thought why God has you living in Muskoka or living in Perry Sound? Like, like why, why does God have you here? You ever thought, you know, why do I have the job that I have? Well, why, why am I at the school that I'm at? Why do I have the, the neighborhood around me that I have? Why do I live in the home that I'm at? Listen, this is why I believe this all my heart. This is what scripture would say, because God's got you there as a missionary. Because you know those people better than anybody else because you're the perfect person to reach those people with the good news. And God's saying, hey, I sent you here for a purpose as a missionary. Uh, I sent you to engage in your culture, to get to know the people around you, to love them, to care for them. That's the whole reason God has you here. Now, once... Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, once, once they get there in the middle of this, this other kingdom, I'm going to tell you, the, the second temptation I think that's going to hit them, now, now they're, they're not separating completely from the culture. The next temptation is, do you assimilate? Do you just fully assimilate into the culture? Do you, do you just blend in so much that the, there's, there's really no difference between you and any other Babylonian? Because that's Nebuchadnezzar's plan, Right? He wanted to change their, their whole being. He wanted to change who they were. In fact, look at verse six. He changes their names. He says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, changes their names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, what are the goofy names? Why change their names? Listen, names have meaning. Names have a meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar was, was trying to change these guys right to the core of who they are. He says, hey, Daniel, your name means God is judge. No, no, no. We're going to call you Belteshazzar, which means Baal protects the king. A false god. Hananiah, your name means the Lord is gracious. No, no, no. You're now called Shadrach, command of Aku. He was the moon god of Babylon. Mishael, who means who is like God. That's his name. He's man, who is like God? No, no. Your name's now Meshach, who is like Aku. Azariah, God has helped. No, your name is Abednego, which means servant of Nebu, another false god. There's this incredible pressure on these guys, even what they were called, right down to the very core of who they were. They're saying, hey, you're no longer who you think you are. You're no longer part of that kingdom. You're in our kingdom now. This huge pressure to assimilate, to, to blend in so much you, you lose your real kingdom culture. And I'll say it again, if you are following Christ, if you're part of his kingdom, you should look odd in this culture. And if you're not odd, the question you need to ask is, man, who am I tuned into? Am I more tuned into the world or am I tuned into Jesus? I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that life is hard sometimes. We, we shouldn't be surprised that we face trials. We shouldn't be surprised when there's temptations that come our way. In fact, I would say if, if you're under trial for standing up for the name of Christ, you're facing temptation, it's confirmation that you're living for the right kingdom. You're, you're feeling that effect of what it is to live in exile. In fact, if you were to say to me, you know what? I don't think I can ever remember feeling any sort of pressure for my faith. I've never remember feel, ever feeling a trial or ever feeling any temptation to pull me away from following Christ. I don't really ever remember feeling any of that. I would say this, you may have, listen, you may have fully assimilated. I think the devil has some people right where he wants them where we can live so immersed in the culture of this world, so, so not caring at all about the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're so deeply immersed in this kingdom here and, and we feel like we don't feel anymore. Why? Because we're not in exile anymore. We've actually fully assimilated into this kingdom. And, and I would say this, the devil isn't gonna waste a lot of effort on that person. The devil has his sights set on the person who's living for the kingdom of God, the person who's stepping into the darkness with the light of the gospel, the person who's, who's going all out saying, man, I want to follow Jesus no matter what. I want to be in his word. I want to be praying. I want to be serving. I want to be living in, as one who's in exile, but he doesn't care a lot about those who aren't really doing anything to impact the kingdom. That says, I don't think Satan needs to waste any resources on that person. But when you're living your life for another kingdom, 1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised when you face fiery trials. Don't be surprised, Peter says, as if something strange were happening to you. He's saying, listen, you're strangers in a strange land. You're living in exile. Here's what I'm not saying. Here's what I, what I don't mean about, about being different in our world. I grew up in a, in a church where being different was, you had kind of this, this weird Christian subculture. 
And, and difference was all about how you looked. You dressed differently. Your hair was done differently. You listened to your own music, had your own language. Everything was kind of your own little subculture Christian-wise. And, but if you looked at the heart of people, their hearts were still totally sold out to the kingdom of the world. And our, our oddness, I, I would kind of look at it this way. It, it should be like if you take a picture of you, it would look like, man, you fit into this culture. Just by a photo, man, this is you. You're just kind of part of what's going on in Muskoka. But if it became a video and we actually saw the actions of your heart, saw what you valued, how you forgive, how you deal with pain and disappointment, how you sacrifice, we should look a little bit odd. So, so then the, again, the question, well, the, do I separate? Do, do I assimilate? I mean, what do I do? I think what God's saying in Jeremiah 29, he's saying, listen, there aren't only two options. It's not just a choice between one. Are you just fully separated or fully assimilated? That, that's the only, no, God says, no, there's a whole other choice. Jeremiah 29, he's saying, listen, you don't separate, but you also, you also don't lose your identity. You don't just melt in. You, you don't become a Babylonian. Why? Because you know who you are. You're a Christ follower. You're a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. And so he's saying, keep your identity. Don't just fully assimilate, but, but also build houses, plant gardens, have kids, bless the community that you're in, make it better because you're there so it's not separate, it's not assimilate. God calls us to what? To enter in and transform our culture. To be on mission. To, to live as exiles, transforming. Not, not separating, not assimilating, but transforming. He says, I, I want you to move into that wicked kingdom of humankind, but, but I want you to stay citizens of the kingdom of God. I would say this way, God's saying, listen, I don't want you to love me and hate the place where you live. But in the same way, I don't want you to so love this kingdom here, God says that you forget me. He says, love me, and then out of that, love the people that are around you. Enter into that culture on mission. I think most Christians believe you, you either separate or you assimilate. I think Daniel and these three guys here were different. They, they transformed. They lived their lives on mission. They, they didn't huddle up and hide out and wait for God to come in and judge Babylon and bring a new kingdom in. No, they were on mission, bringing God's kingdom to the world where they were at. If I look at the end of the chapter one, you see what it looks like. Verse 17 says this, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded they should be brought in, so three years is up now, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke of them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here's what I love about this. They're on mission in their culture, and it doesn't say, and Daniel was the best pastor there, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they worked for a great church. They were, no, no, what were they doing? They were in their culture just doing regular jobs, doing regular things. They weren't vocational missionaries. How about that? They, they were just missionaries. 
normal everyday jobs, in the culture kind of jobs, and they transformed their culture. Listen, that, that's huge for us. It's at your job. It's, it's, it's in your school. It's in the groups that you, that you hang out with. It's in that, that play group. It's, it's on that job site. It's in that classroom. It's, it's when you're with your neighbors. That's where God's at work. That's where God's got you to serve as those transforming your culture. Now, how's it play out for these guys specifically? Look at verse eight. The choice to fully separate, fully assimilate, verse eight says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. What's going on here? We're not sure why. It's not clear what, what it was about eating the king's food and drink that, that made them say, you know what? Here's where we draw the line. We're not doing that. Now, whether it's was, whether, whether, um, Old Testament laws that were being broken with the food that they were serving, some say it could have been the utensils they were using because it says that they, they brought things from the temple and maybe they're using things that shouldn't be used for food. And Daniel's like, you know what? Here's where I draw the line. Here's where I don't join your culture. And, and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach, they, they draw a line here in the sand and saying, this is where, I gonna, this is where I'm going to look different than the rest of the world. For you, where's that line for you? Where do you look in the culture around you? Where do you see the, the kingdom of God clashing with the kingdom of the world? Where do you see it in your life? Now, the chief eunuch didn't like Dan, Daniel's... Uh, plan here because look what happens. Verse 9 says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord for the king who assigned your food and drink for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So, so Daniel's saying, hey, hey, here's what I want you to do. We're just gonna eat vegetables here and God's gonna show himself. Now, the, the chief of the eunuchs didn't like that idea. He's like, no, 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 no. Because if, if you go totally vegan and then you look like some hipster vegetarian and you show up in front of the king, all right, I don't just get fired for that. I'm going to lose my head. And Daniel says, trust me, trust me. God, God's going to show himself. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I love what it says there. It says, it says they were in appearance fatter. I love it. It doesn't say fitter. They were actually fatter, right? So they, what's up, right? And they, they show up. And then here's the reason why that's important. The reason that's important is in this culture, to, to, to be a, a skinny hipster actually wasn't a good thing. If, if you were thin, it meant that you were lower in the cultural scale of who's who of culture because it meant that you were poor and you couldn't eat. But if you were shopping at the big and tall shop in Babylon, right, you were like doing pretty good. Right? If, you, if you had some weight about you, wow, you must be well off. You must be well educated. And so this idea of you want to look bigger, Right? Someone could take that and go, praise the Lord. That's great. I'm doing all right then. <laughs> right? If you were chubby, you were proud of it. 
So things looking good for these guys. Here's how they, they live out their lives mission going, we're not going to fully separate, but we're not going to assimilate in this. We're going to do our thing. And what happens? God just miraculously provides for them. They show up in better condition than the rest of the people who are eating the king's food. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? It, do, it doesn't always go that smoothly. In fact, flip over to chapter three, Daniel chapter three. Things continue on for these guys and, and King Nebuchadnezzar says to them, hey, I'm building this, this massive statue, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, Big, huge statue that you're all going to bow down to. Now, now, again, this should remind you, wait a minute, this sounds, again, like they're doing it all over again. What they did in Genesis 11, they built that huge tower of Babel. It's, it's self-exaltation again. The kingdom of self-exaltation was still at work. And, and rather than worshiping God alone, he's saying, hey, hey, would you come worship other things too? The king lets everybody knows that when the music plays, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you bow down to this huge idol. Music starts playing. Everybody starts to bow down. Well, everyone except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when you, when you read chapter three, what do you find? They didn't protest the, 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 the big statue. They were making a huge deal. They're just like, that's not what we're doing. That's our line. We're not doing that. We're not worshiping this. We, we serve only God. And, and what happens, spies had to find out and then go tell on them. And went to tell Nebuchadnezzar, hey, hey, those three guys... They're not worshiping when the music plays. Obviously, this doesn't fly well within this culture. Look at verse 13. When Nebuchadnezzar heard about this, it says that Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tree on the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, they answer him. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, it means if you throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Here's, here's people who understand they have a dual citizenship. They're citizens of Babylon, but citizens of the kingdom of God. And they say, listen, we want to seek the good of this place, King Nebuchadnezzar. We, we want to do good for you. We want to help you. We want to pour into the place we are, but we will not bow down and worship this idol as God. And they're willing to defy the king. They're willing to risk their lives. Why? Because they knew that God's purposes can't be stopped. And, and even if they, they suffer, even if they're persecuted, even if God chooses to let them face suffering, even if God chooses that we would die, they said, we're still gonna trust his plans. Why is that? These guys knew the, the story of God's kingdom. They could say that God could rescue because they knew that, that the kingdom had, had started the Garden of Eden, that sin had come in and destroyed it, but that, that God had made a promise. They, they knew that God had rescued Israel from the Egyptians. But they also knew that for 400 years, 
They were in captivity in Egypt. They knew that David had, had been promised to be king and God put David on the throne, but they also knew that David spent a lot of time running in the wilderness from Saul. So what do they say? They say, we're sure he's going to save us, but he might not. When you hear that, does, does that not sound unspiritual to you? That they would say, God will save us, but he might not. Don't, don't say that. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, why would you say that? That's a lack of faith. I mean, if, if you don't have faith, then God can't answer. Have you ever heard that before? Man, pray for healing, but don't you dare say that maybe God isn't going to bring healing. Don't, don't bring that lack of faith in here. Man, we need faith. And I think what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teaching us is this. Sometimes when we say, no, 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 it's got to happen, and I don't want you to say any different, it's faith in our agenda, not faith in God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they trusted in God's power, but they also trusted in God's wisdom. They trusted that, that God's ways are higher than our ways. They said, listen, we know God can save us, but even if he chooses not to, we still serve him and we still trust him. Why? They'd look back, they'd, they'd seen that God is writing the story, so they trusted that God is gonna do what he's gonna do for, the, for their good and his glory. And, and for us, doesn't the same question hit us daily? Will, will you bow down to idols or worship Jesus alone? Understand, it's, it's Jesus alone. Nebuchadnezzar would be fine if they said, hey, no, 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 go worship your God, but also worship our gods. You, you can have your little Christian viewpoint. You can go to your church on Sunday, but, but you better stick with what culture says outside of that. You, you better believe this too. You can have Jesus, but you also can have this. I mean, for, for you this morning, what would that be? What's that idol for you? Maybe it's a biblical stance where you say, I just can't get a hold of this. I, I know it says it clearly in scripture, but... I can't embrace this in our culture. Maybe it's something in scripture that just bothers you. Maybe it's an idol in your life that you're like, man, I need this and I'll sin to get it. I'll sin to keep it. But God, you can't take this away from me. I mean, if, if, I, if, I, comp, if, I, if I don't compromise in this, if I don't sin kind in here, I'm gonna lose the business. If, if I do what you're calling me to do, God, this relationship might end. God, if I forgive that person, I might let them off the hook. God, if I sacrifice and give here, I, I don't know if I can live to the standard that I want to, that culture says I should. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to do it. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He says, heat the furnace up seven times hotter ties them up and in the rush of, of getting them tied up to get them, he's so angry. The, the furnace is so hot. The men that are throwing them into the furnace, it says that, that they die as they throw them in. The heat coming out of this furnace burns them up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Listen, sometimes we're living in Daniel 1 and we stand up for the Lord. We live for the Lord. We live with integrity. We, we're transforming our culture. We're loving the people in our culture and it turns out good for us. There's favor shown on us. Sometimes though, listen, sometimes it's Daniel 3. When the fiery furnace comes, where do you go? Do, do you separate and avoid? Do, do you assimilate? 
I mean, you, you feel the pressure of, of, of culture and maybe it's separate for you. Maybe that's your temptation. And you're like, you know what? That's it. We're getting out of here. We're, we're going to go live in the desert. We're going to get guns and canned food. We're going to hide out and just wait for Jesus to come back. And so you have no friends who don't know Jesus. All your relationships are, are, are had in church. And you say, well, I can't hang out with those people because those people are sinners. They're, they're pagans, and yet the king that we say we follow and worship hung out with prostitutes and drunks. I would say this, if, if your temptation is to separate and you're like, yeah, but I, I, I need, I, I just, I don't, if I, if I engage in culture on mission, I, my, my time in the word will be weak and my, my time at church will be difficult. No, I'm gonna say, say this, if you actually engage on mission in culture, not assimilating in, but you're on mission, God's word will come alive to you. Prayer will become so much more needed. Worship will become so much more real and sweet. God's people will become so much more valuable to you. Why? Because when we assimilate, it's like we, we pretend that everything's peacetime. When we're on mission, we recognize this is war. This is, we're being sent here with, with a message of peace into a place of war. And so we need prayer. We need each other. We need the Lord. Maybe not separating. Maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe you struggle the other way. And you find that you're, you're more and more just adopting to Babylon where no one would even recognize that you're in exile anymore. You bought into culture so much that no one could ever see that you serve another king. I mean, we need to examine our lives. We have blind spots. Where, where do you see where, where, where you don't stand out in the community as a follower of Christ? I mean, we should be different as Christ followers. Why? Because we have a different authority. We, we have a different foundation. We, we have a different type of community. We have, we have a different Lord. We have, we have a whole different ethic and belief. So, so examine your heart. Do you really love differently? Do you forgive differently? Do, do you give your time and your finances and your resources, do you do, you do that differently? Do you have a, a different value system that you can find in God's word? And I have so many blind spots. I, 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 you start to look around, you recognize, man, I'm more influenced by my culture than I, than I think that I am. So, so we need to pray, Lord, Lord, where have I separated where you've called me to engage, to transform? Lord, where have I fully assimilated where you've called me to stand out and to separate? Lord, where have I separated where you've called me to engage? Where have I fully assimilated where you've called me to pull out? To live as a Christian, it means we keep living a different life in our culture, not removed from our culture, but it's a different life. And we're stepping inside. And, and the amazing thing, when you look back over church history, what do you see? You see the church flourish when it lives as exiles. The first few hundred years of the church, they're, they're in a Greco-Roman culture that was so anti-scripture, yet the church grows like crazy. It grows so much that, that persecution begins to come in and they can't kill Christians faster than the church is growing. Then what happens? Constantine steps in and says, I'm gonna make Rome a Christian nation. No more persecution, which is great for a time, but eventually what happens? The Christians no longer live in exile. They just start to, 
fully assimilate. And we see the, tr the church take a turn for the worse. Listen, you, you might live in, as a Christian in exile and you might feel the blessing of God in that or you might live as a Christian in exile and you might feel a fiery furnace. Either way, listen, it's the strong foundation we can stand on that makes the difference. This passage, it's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to point us to where our hope is. I mean, when I was growing up and I always heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den or, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I heard it this way. Hey, why can't you be more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Maybe you grew up in, in church, remember singing that song, Dare to Be a Daniel? Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand up, right? And like, I gotta be more like Daniel. And listen, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <coughs> they're a great model for us as we look at what it's like to live as exiles, to live for another kingdom but they're pointing us to where our true hope is found. That's the purpose of their life. They're pointing to where our hope is. In fact, look at verse 24 of chapter three. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose up in haste. They'd been thrown in the furnace. And he, he says, he, he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, oh, true, O oh king, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth, listen, is like a son of the gods. I mean, when you're thinking, man, I can't stand for Christ in this culture anymore. I, I don't want to suffer like this. And listen, the furnaces are going to come. Everyone suffers. Don't be surprised when you face trials. Don't be surprised when the fiery trials come. Here, here's the difference though, when you face those, who's going with you? I mean, what we see here, this, this picture of a son of the gods, is this a picture of Christ walking in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, you read on in this chapter, he says, man, who's a God who saves like this? Can you, like, why wouldn't God just put the fire out? That would have been miraculous. Why wouldn't God have just reached down and just pulled them out of the fire? Instead, God goes into the furnace with them. There's no God who rescues like this. Now, why did he walk in there? I, I think it all points to Jesus. In, in Matthew 13, Jesus says that, that the, the wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. That's what he compares it to. The wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, when he was preaching on Jesus, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to, to the cross, he says, I wonder if the reason Jesus was sweating so much in the Garden of Gethsemane is because he was so close to the fiery furnace with his doors wide open where God's wrath was about to be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus goes into the ultimate furnace for us. Why? He goes into the furnace to take all the punishment anyone deserved. All the wickedness that deserved punishment. All, all, the, all the punishment that, that selfishness deserved. All the punishment that indifference deserved. All the punishment. And, he, and Jesus goes in willingly. He took the furnace of God's wrath so that we didn't have to. Jesus enters into true, true, dark, horrible exile. Why? He was exiled from God so that we didn't have to be. What does that mean? That means we can stand here on a Sunday morning and sing that song that quotes that verse that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That when we face a trial, we can say, my foundation is sure. 
that, that like the apostle Paul, we can say, well, man, if I live for Christ, if I go into those dark places and, and it all works out and I get to live and do this, man, God is glorified and I win. And Paul says, but if I die, I meet Jesus and I win. That, what is that? That's his hope. That's where his trust was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say the same thing. God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, and he's still a good God and his plans will not be stopped. So here it is. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think the miracle happened before they even got into the fiery furnace. I think they were spiritually fireproofed before they were physically fireproofed. And what's, what's the difference between, between the fight to become fully separate and not want to touch the world or the, or the fight to just jump in and fully assimilate? It's, it's where's your trust? They'd, can, they, they, they'd given their whole life in faith and humility to say, God, you're in control. The impact of this was huge. You say, how did they impact Babylon? You go to the story of Christ's birth. Who are the first three people that came with all those gifts? Remember that, like the three kings from Orient? All right, what are they? They were magicians from the East. They were from Babylon. These magicians coming in. What are they asking? They're saying, hey, hey, we know that a Messiah is going to be born here. We've read the, the prophecies. Who are they reading? Who are they talking about? They're talking about Daniel. Daniel had spent the time in Babylon, and now hundreds, thousands of years later, what happens? The impact is being seen. Who knows what's going on as you reach out and live out your faith? As the worst team comes up, let me leave you with this question. Are you closer to being a Babylonian because you fully embraced and assimilated? Are you closer to, to like the false prophets called, to fully separate and have nothing to do with your culture? Or, or are you like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Say, we're trusting God to engage and to transform our culture. Listen, you're not born as a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you find your way in one of these other places, there's an amazing opportunity for God to grow in your heart, for you to move towards what he has for you. The key is this, the key is this, it's trust. Who do you trust? It's a lack of trust that causes us to assimilate. It's a lack of trust that causes us to separate. It's when we say all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus, so I can risk it all to follow him. I can let go of this idol because he's got me. That's the faith that can take you into furnaces. That's the faith that'll transform our culture. That's a faith that can have you face anything. Let me pray. Lord God, Lord God, I thank you that we can rest in, trust in your purposes. And your word is so clear that, 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 that lives will be changed as we step out with the good news of the gospel. God, that you would take us and plant us in places that are so dark that you, you would send us into places that so need the light of the gospel. And, and yes, yes, the, the mission is huge. Yes, it's a difficult task, but you filled us with your Holy Spirit, a power so much greater than any of the darkness. And you've sent us out with the light of the gospel. So I pray that we would go out and we go out with absolute faith. That in the name of Jesus Christ, that the lost are saved, the sick are healed the dead are raised, that we can step out. Why? Not because we have faith in ourselves, because we trust fully, fully in you, Lord God, and your ways. That if we live for you, we win. If we die for you, we win. So we trust you, we trust you Lord God. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.